This is the True North Collective podcast, a gathering of unsugarcoated conversations on authenticity, created by the real-life documentation of everyday humans fearlessly finding their true north. Welcome to season four of the podcast. And we can get started. First episode of Sex Ed. I've never been actually this excited for sexual education. I feel like it. Seriously? <laughs> uh, no, because in high school, I was like super embarrassed about it. Or like in middle school or elementary school, like I wasn't excited to go to sex ed. I was like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to go and talk about periods and shit. And right. so now I'm like, yeah, I want to talk about periods and shit. So <laughs> I, the reason I asked the question is because I feel like I've, I've started to do my own personal education over the last year, I would say. Um, because I, I felt this, I was just like, I can't believe how little I know and how little I've like, not that I, I, you know, about my body. I think that's where it stemmed from is I was just like, there's this whole body that I have and I'm getting to know like the mental and emotional side, but like what's going on in all the rest of it. And, um, yeah, specifically, I'm just going to shout out this brand really quickly. Uh, OMG. Yes. If. Um, I don't know if you, it's amazing. So that is a resource that I used as I was getting to, getting to know myself. Um, so I just want to give them a toot toot. I'll put it in the show notes. Do it. So we, we have a group of four of us, two amazing co additional co-hosts today that are going to be helping us through, um, some of these episodes in the series and really I think this the series stemmed from Emily, who we'll reintroduce, but we had her on the podcast in season three, and we started to talk about birth control and our bodies, and there's just a bunch of stuff that came up that I was like, oh, shit, like, I actually don't know that much about my body as I thought I did. Like, there's all these things about my cycle and cervical fluid and when you can get pregnant and when you can and what it looks like um, that I didn't learn until my late 20s or Rachel I know for you it was like your late 30s and we're like what you know what is this stuff and um, we had a really positive response from that episode and people just being really curious or um, like craving more information on it and we're like well shit let's like let's have a conversation um, and invite other people to join us because Rachel and I are definitely no experts we're fellow travelers and students here but we have two lovely humans that do play in this world a lot more and are going to support us in general education and also just like normalizing the conversation around it. So would you two like to introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah. So I'll start. I'm Emily Kirkwald and I'm the owner of NFP Pharmacist. So I'm a pharmacist by background, um, but my passion is to help women understand their cycles and use that information for their health or their family planning. Um, I love to help women get off of birth control, or at least if they are going to choose birth control, they are making an informed choice because they know all of their options. Um, yeah, and I'm just super excited to be back on the podcast and have this chat. And I'm really excited that Joy is joining us as well. Joy was a guest on my podcast, Holy a Woman. Um, and we had a great conversation and really appreciate her perspective as well. Um, I'm a natural family planning instructor in the Marquette Method. And I'll let Joy introduce herself here. Yeah. Hi, everyone. So 
my name's Joy, as has been said, and I am also a um, fertility awareness educator, and I'm trained in a method that is called the Just Beast method. So we'll get more into it, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, fertility awareness is kind of this broad umbrella term that we use to describe you know, charting your cycle and using that information. Um, I mean, primarily we're talking about right now is a birth control method. And so we teach two of those types of methods and there are a plethora of methods out there. So we are just kind of little advocates for the ones that we're trained in. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of who I am. I, I'm in Canada right now in Ontario. I'm trying to think of anything else that's relevant, but I'm just super excited to have this kind of conversation because I know so many people crave this kind of open dialogue. And I mean, if we can just spark that in some of the listeners to have these conversations with their kids or, you know, with their partners or with um, their parents or whatever it, it sounds like for them, then I think that's a huge win for us today. So I'm just super excited. Yeah, we were, we were talking about in promoting this episode, we an original idea was like, hey, let's ask people, like, what are your questions? What what do you want to know about sex ed? And one, when I did the promotion, I put a picture of a, a condom and a zucchini out on the internet <laughs> to spark interest and intrigue. And I love joy that you brought up, like, have this conversation with your parents because I'm like, oh, damn it. My parents follow me on Instagram and I'm all, here's a condom. Here's a zucchini. All right. We're talking about sex on the podcast. Listen, mom and dad. And that's so needed, right? Like we need to have that kind of open conversation or at least know that kids can go and ask their parents questions and like that's been proven to lead to safer sex. So if we can just open that door just a little bit, it doesn't need to be a comfortable conversation, but at least have the conversation, you know, so that's, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I can I ask a question? I'm curious for all of you, did, did your parents have a conversation with you about sex or about your bodies or about your period? Nobody I, I can go. I can go. I don't remember it. My mom says that we did. I do not recall, but I also, like, I, as she was, like, I think I asked her, but now, now as I'm thinking about it, maybe I asked her if she explained me how to use a tampon because I swore that I was a dancer. And so rarely were pads, like you just went straight for the tampon and like that's, so I learned from my dance, my older dancing friends. And so I never really felt like I needed to go to my mom for that. Um, but I don't know. So now, now I'm, well, I don't remember. So I'm going to say no. <laughs> I got an American, I think it was an American girl doll book. And Ooh. that like, it talked all about like getting pubic hair and getting your period. <laughs> and I don't really think I've talked much about sex per se like it might have just been like and you can get pregnant it was more about your body going through puberty and maturing but mm -hmm. um no we did not have the sex talk really it was more just like I got put on birth control really young for acne That's I remember yeah. learning about blowjobs and penises on the bus in like I mean I was young but it's because we were on like the bus with all the kids and I was yep. just mm -hmm. like what happens <laughs> you, you what Wait, what <laughs> I remember when I was in fourth grade this girl in my class named Mary 
asked me which member of NSYNC I would like to have sex with. And I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I remember my, I'm trying to remember. So my parents didn't really have like a talk with me. I remember uh, once I had asked like how babies are made and my mom had said that um, mom and dad fit together like puzzle pieces. <laughs> And that's how babies are made. There's love and there's puzzle pieces. And that was all I got to find out that time. I was pretty young, but that mm. always stuck with me. Always, always, always. That's kind of cute. I like, like that. A nice way to put it, right? Because it, it does involve that kind of everyone brings something to it and together something is created. So I, I liked that. And then, and it's not a full blown lie. It's not like the stork brought the baby. So I like right. that too. Like just a... I, I take that one on a bit sometimes when I you know like I work with kids and so sometimes like not often but sometimes that has come up and so I, I say that if I need to but there wasn't mm-hmm. an outward talk for sure it was it was very much like a figure it out on your own I was given a book as well I think it was maybe a Canadian version or something because it wasn't American <laughs> girl, but something similar where it was you know here's your Canadian girl <laughs> you know here's what's going on and um that was kind of the beginning of figuring that stuff out for me but it wasn't an open conversation at the dinner (laughs) dinner yeah yeah when I turned 10 my mom took me on a special trip and I believe there was a book involved too and we like went up north a couple hours and got to get my ears pierced was part of the special trip although I chickened out I got right there in the chair and then I was too scared to do it. I had to wait till my younger sister had her special trip. Um, but also on the special trip, the 10 year old trip, then my mom, but yeah, basically was like, your body's changing, your period's going to come. And that was basically it. And then like Rachel, I really learned how to use pads and tampons for my friends who had already got their periods. And that was pretty much it. And then like, the day before my wedding, my mom was like, well, you know, you guys might have sex or do I need to tell you anything? And I was like, nope, I'm good. Thanks. Got it now. <laughs> it. I, you know, when I look back on it, I mean, I may have been mortified when I was a kid, but I tend to be somebody who's like, let's go there in general. And um, I think I would have really appreciated just like, an honest conversation and even thinking about like I have a little niece and her mom and I have talked about what she's learning in terms of normal development of babies and like it is really normal at like less than two years old for kids to be like humping things and like feeling themselves and checking stuff out and and how you respond to that and that it's actually like if you witness your child you know if you walk in on your child doing that not to be like stop that what are you doing and it's like instead be like oh it looks like you're busy I'll be back in in five minutes um it's time for us to go or something and and like normalizing it and allowing there to be the space for them to have follow-up conversations and her and I have talked like I I mean I'm the aunt so like I have like there's no need for me to be involved but like I think that that would be a really cool space to be able to know that my niece or my child could come to me and ask me anything. And um, 
I don't know. Like, I don't have kids. I don't know if I will have kids, but I feel like uh, it feels endearing. Like it feels really special. And um, I, don't know, I guess yeah. it's, I'm just reflecting on that right now. I think a yeah. lot of people hearing that will appreciate it. Cause I had a friend that told me that as well. Like a, she had a three-year-old daughter and same thing, like saw her, but she would generally like try to do it in the living room. She's like, okay, sweetie. Like, so these are things like totally cool that you want to do this and like explore your body. But we generally like try to do these things more so in private. And she told me that. And I was like, I don't like, I think my initial reaction, I mean, I'm not a parent either, but would be to be like, oh my God, stop. Like, and just to have that like have that thought or even plant it. So if that does come up, like you're ready to have a conversation and yeah, you're not like shaming your child for exploring their body just because like that thought had never come in your head. So I was like, oh, when she told me that, I was like, thank you. Like if I ever choose to have children and that happens, like now I've at least put some thought behind of like, how do I actually want to respond to something like this rather than being so shocked? What I'm realizing in this conversation too, that it does require just like with anything for each of us to kind of go on our own journey so that we can hold a space that isn't shame-based for ourselves. Like if I'm coming to you to talk about something that I'm already ashamed about, then that's an awkward fucking conversation (laughs) for everyone. But if I've done my own, you know, I don't want to call it work. That sounds terrible. But like, if I've, I've, I've spent time with myself and, and, and gotten to a place where I accept you know, who I am and at least at a, at a whole, and then I can hold that space for you. And I'm cool with it. I'm cool with like the weirdnesses and the intricacies and the blah, 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 whatever. Um, that's a beautiful space. I mean, that's why I'm a coach, <laughs> you know, and I had never really applied it to this space and how it could be um, considered as um, uh, an older generate generate person, I'm not like an elder, but like I, I hold wisdom that can be space held for younger people. And that's pretty cool. Actually. It's like a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about like, I am pretty certain that my mom never had an open conversation about her body with her mom. So she was just doing what she knew. And I don't, to my knowledge she didn't have people around like this where they're having open conversations about knowing your body so how are you supposed to teach the next generation or even have conversations like this if you literally don't know that could happen Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's why it starts so that's why it's so good to start it early because then it's just avoiding that one time that it becomes awkward like it's like this big thing that you lead up to and then you have this conversation about sex and like it really should just be something that is like a slow progression so maybe at some age you do talk about it being puzzle pieces and then later on you talk about it you know involving a penis and a vagina and you know those aren't bad words like I feel like a lot of people shy away from that but it's just another body part, you know, you don't say, you don't wince when you say elbow. So just normalizing vagina and penis and those kinds of things with our kids is, is a big thing. Um, Cause it's great for them to know, but then when it does come time to talk about sex and sex for themselves, then that whole piece is kind of removed of being really awkward, or at least it, it makes it a little bit easier. So I think, um, yeah, I think starting it whenever you can is just such a great opportunity. And it's just a bonding moment, you know, even if you're, 
even if the whole time you're like, oh my God, I felt like that was the most awkward conversation I've ever had with my kid. They're probably walking away thinking, okay, I learned something. I know I can talk to my parent about this. And, you know, probably they're going to be telling their friends about it and they're actually going to have proper information. So I think that's just so, so beautiful and valuable. I feel like that's a really good segue into basically what we're doing now because you're like there's no you know there anytime just like start it and it's, I think you know that's really what we're doing now but hilarious hilariously I mean I guess maybe there's younger people that are listening but for a lot of people I feel like our audience is mostly 18 plus <laughs> but um you know learning about the body and I know we posted out as I shared on our social to just be like what questions do people have and it was interesting because we got a few questions, but for the most part, it was either people commenting on their lack of sex education or like a lot of people looked at my story and not a lot of people commented, which I think is also a larger part of this conversation. And we we're talking about how to normalize it, how people are uncomfortable by it, how they see that. And they're like, oh, I'm not going to sex questions, sex ed, my body, like, eh, no, I don't like really want to go there. Um, and even like I said, my own reaction to like, I kind of had to like hype myself up about it and be like, okay, I'm really passionate about talk, talking on this topic for the exact reason that I'm almost slightly uncomfortable, just like putting it out on my Instagram when I know that I have like clients and family and these people um, that might see it and be like, why is Janelle trying to talk about sex? <laughs> so um yeah, just that that jumps into our conversation today. So I'm I'm curious, did anyone else, Rachel? I know some people got back to you when you proposed the question, um, but I'll open it up to the group. What were some of your responses when you said like, what do you wish you learned in sex ed? Um. Yeah. So I can go. I very little. <laughs> so. It is exactly what you said. Um, the main ones that I got were, um, I moved around a lot. And so I really never got, I never had it. Um, or it was something that I felt very shameful. So we didn't talk about it because of religion. Um, so there was people talking about that. And with each of them, I, I said like, you know, I'm hearing not a ton from people. And when I do, I'm we're hearing that not a lot of people have had exposure to this. And so it seems quite normal. And they were like, oh, really? Oh my gosh, that makes me feel so much better. And so um, I'm saying that out loud for anyone who's listening who may think that, oh my gosh, I never got properly, like apparently a majority of people feel that way. Um, and the other thing that's coming up that I just want to say is like, I am very, I have become quite aware of how much more language and conversations and words and, and open dialogues do exist now that really didn't even 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And so I am starting to shift the way, like, I think it's really easy for me to be like, gosh, why didn't this happen? Like, what the fuck? And like, it's just, we should have just talked about it, but it's like, you know, when was the vault, when was the clitoris actually anatomized? Is that even a word? Did I just make up a word? Um, wasn't it like in the late nineties? Yeah, I think it was the nineties. Like they, when... they didn't even have the proper anatomy for it. So it's like, I, I mean, to expect, I, I, and to kind of sidebar a little bit, um, I was recently diagnosed with PTSD 
And as I've been learning about that stuff, it's the same thing. Like they haven't, they, they still don't really know how to properly, like they have procedures and protocols, but it's like, you know, a lot of the treatment plans were in the eighties pills. And, and I, I guess what I'm saying is like, I'm having these conversations with my parents about that. And there's so much language in that world that has not been mass mass available either. And so there's just a lot more that we have access to now to be able to facilitate these conversations. And I am compassionate to previous generations who did the best with what they had. And I, so I just like, I felt really important to mm -hmm. say that so that I'm, we aren't sitting here on a high horse today being like, well, they should have just like, God, uh, you know, it's like, no, you know, we all do the best with what we have at the time. And now we have more to be able to do something with. And so, yeah, just felt mm -hmm. important to say. Yeah. Like the whole no, room totally giving you a standing ovation. <laughs> I totally one. agree with that. I think that's the whole thing. And that's why it is like a, a start whenever with what you have, you know, like we're just going to do the best we can in these conversations. And I think that's better than nothing. I think that's kind of like the moral of this is that, you know, how can you teach something when you weren't taught it yourself or when you didn't have these open conversations yourself or you're influenced by, you know, whatever you were around, um, how are you then supposed to offer, you know, appropriate or factual information to others if you don't know it yourself so that's that's why this is so important because we can see that it's common that people don't have that information so just having this conversation right now is kind of normalizing that it's okay to not know everything um, and it's okay to just start that conversation and you'll find bits and pieces along the way and that's that's amazing too mm -hmm. Did Joy or Emily, did either of you hear anything from anyone on the internet in response to the question? No, I was going to say I got a lot of looks, but no comments as well, as well, which it's just kind of striking as, as you were saying that, Janelle, about how people are so quiet on this topic. Yet, I think we can all acknowledge that sex is also very prevalent in our culture like you look all over the tv shows we watch and movies we watch there's sex everywhere but we're not okay about talking about it or talking about our bodies it's it's very interesting that juxtaposition also just to tap on that too like how inaccurate sex in the media is like give me a fucking break like i just I hate, I hate in shows when they're having sex and then the girl will orgasm after like two minutes of penetration. And I'm like, that is not really accurate. Maybe for like 2% of women, but you know, the majority of us need clitoral stimulation. And usually that takes more than a couple thrusts. And it just, just absolutely angers me. Cause I'm like, that's even more misinformation going out there for people when they don't talk about sex openly then they take that information and they're like well that's not happening to me is something wrong like they're getting wrong information from it so I just just a quick little pop off there I just hate that <laughs> no mm -hmm. I appreciate that too because even in my experience until recently like I would 
learn about how other women had sex through the men that I was having sex with, which sounds weird, right? Where like, they would be like, well, yeah, some of my other partners. And then I'd be like, wait, what? Like, and for one, like doubt some of that stuff was true, you know, like depending on who it was. But, and then you're like, am I like, yeah, am I not functioning correctly because of basically, I mean, a game of telephone almost on some others, like other women's sexual experience through a man who quite possibly, one in particular, definitely like had an ego around it, you know? So I, I agree with that. And um, I, like definitely a lot of the people that responded back to me, I can just read some of these because they're kind of funny in a lot of ways, but someone's like, I'm a Virgo, so I'm so uncomfortable with the thought of this question. <laughs> Which, <laughs> it's like, yeah, not alone. Um, there was some penis size jokes because of the zucchini that I posted. It was the only veggie I had and it was rather large. Um, so <laughs> an inaccurate description. Um, some other people said, like, I grew up super religious and they didn't teach us anything about our bodies, just purity. Um, so it made it hard to learn and to find out all the stuff. I had to find out all the stuff on my own as a teen. It was pretty brutal. Someone else said their sex ed teacher, um, or their sex ed education consisted of their health teacher taking some girl's denim jacket and pulling out a sewing needle through her pocket and saying, thousands of sperm can fit on the top of this needle. Look at how easily this needle can go through the jacket. The same thing can happen if you sit on a boy. You can get pregnant that way. Like his dick is a needle is what they're saying? <laughs> yeah she was like after that I was just terrified to even hold a guy's hand because I was worried that I was like some sort of, I was like holy crap so after hearing yeah. that too I was like oh well I don't feel like I had that much sex education but I'm also like, pretty grateful for the amount that I apparently had above um, and beyond what some of these other people have experienced yeah, that is some, yeah. some wild, wild things. That, yeah, that's terrible because that exactly just puts you in a state of fear. It's inaccurate information. And then you're just in this state of fear. And I think I encounter a number of women who tell me that that's what their experience has been, that it was a place of fear. Like I, I know when I was growing up at the church that I went to, the children's church director told us, you know, every time a boy is looking at you, he's undressing you in his mind. And it was like, this is the only thing boys think about, apparently. So it's just like, okay, well, I guess I can't be around boys because, ah, and just, you know, this horrible fear that the worst possible thing that could ever happen to me is to get pregnant. And you should just be afraid of it. Also, like, hold the phone. Like, <laughs> That is just the most fucked up thing. I'm sorry. I, not even from a pregnancy standpoint, just the normalization of like, hey, every man that's out there who's looking at you is undressing you. And so just right? that's happening. So like, you're just going to need to be okay with that. Like, fuck that. Right. But then also someday you're supposed to be in a loving relationship with a man and get married and like, how are you supposed to have a respectful relationship if that's a bet? Also, I just never understood the whole, um, like, fear men, fear their penises, 
peni, what's the plural? I don't know. <laughs> Fear that until the night you get married. And then you're just supposed to take all that fear and shove it out the window because now it's, now it's fine. Mm-hmm. How is that? Like then that's so much, you know, years, years and years of fear that you have internalized. And all of a sudden you're just supposed to kind of get rid of that phobia basically. And how does that, I just, I just don't think that's fair to women to just kind of like, nor to men. No, no, it's so disrespectful to men. It's also like, it makes the penis the central focus of literally everything, which is like, there's so much more obvious, you know, like there's so much more body parts. There's so many more aspects and elements to the experience of being intimate with another human being. It's like, and we've focused it all down to like this one unit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. one part. Yeah, it's well, it's like penis and pregnancy. That's basically the two things that you get to hear, like that. Mm-hmm. And then none of the rest of it seems to matter. And honestly, our systems are quite complex down there. So I, <laughs> there's probably a little bit more to be explored when it comes to anatomy and the different. More. Yeah, there's like more buttons and bells and whistles. Also, there's more on men too. I mean, that's yes, that's the thing. True. Like the whole thing is like there's so much fun to play with. Like mm-hmm. there's so much fun to be played with across the board and guess what around outside of just the one central erogenous zone like and I actually had a question when you both were talking and as we've been talking about um you know when when you say sex ed do is the conversation it is it does seem like it's penises and um pregnancy are like the central things because in my heart I was like this conversation is so much bigger than just a fertility conversation um but it does tend to center center around those two things which is very misleading Um, and there's no mention of uh, that's the other thing that is always missing is the conversation of consent right never is that talked about or at least I didn't get a conversation about that I actually remember when I got on the pill, <clears throat> the nurse practitioner said to me, because um, I had said, like, I'm, I'm interested, I have a boyfriend, I want to, we were looking at getting intimate. And I remember she had said very quickly, very quickly, and I wish this had been a longer conversation. I think about this regularly, because I, I think it was such a missed opportunity. She said very quickly, so you know about um, how you need to be pleasured as well, right? And I, of course, the way she says it, when you're a little teen, you know, you're getting the pill, you're like, I'm already uncomfortable. I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, sure. But I had no idea. I didn't know what she was talking about. I had no clue. Mm. All I had known up to that point was penis in vagina need protection. That's why I'm here. And that whole consent, that whole, you know, pleasure, all of that was missing from it. And I just really wish it had have been a conversation because it really could have been. I would love to have known what she was about to say to you if you would have been like, I haven't, please tell me more. Like, I, I would love to know. And that's why I almost wonder if she didn't, she didn't want me to say yes, right? Like, I wonder if she wasn't prepared for that kind of conversation. It might've just been kind of like a box to be checked and something that she just, you know, wanted to, you know, say like, oh yeah, we discussed that, but I, I don't know what she would have said. I, I don't know. And that's why I wonder if she framed the question in that way, like even subconsciously, you know, when you ask those kind of leading questions to people who are already uncomfortable, they're just going to say yes. So 
Yeah. Have you have any of you heard of the book by Betty Martin called The Art of Receiving and Giving the Wheel of Consent? No. Okay, so in the last but year, like I said, <laughs> yeah, in the last year, like I said, I really so I I'm friends with somebody who was con- considering becoming a sex coach or a you know, sex therapist and um I was like, well, I'm interested in knowing more about my own sexuality do you want to want to practice client or something (laughs) and so we just like for each month we would meet and I would just share like what was there and I I basically was like I just want a space to like ask dumb questions and explore and whatever and through that I started listening to podcasts and um, anything that I could really like get my hands on to be able to just hear viewpoints that were out there and one of them was referenced that book and it was even in I think about this now sometimes or or a lot actually in the act of if we're just talking about straight sex but you can talk about anything in the act of anything there is a giver and there's a receiver and as on either side in the act of sex or in the act of engaging with somebody you might be wanting to be experiencing the giving and so if you are like, I feel like giving right now, making sure that the other person wants to receive, or if you want to receive, making sure that the other person wants to give and mm-hmm. knowing that as either role, one person or the other can say, you know, I don't feel like receiving, but I want to re- be, I want to be able to allow you to give. So I consent to you being able to give to me, even though, so it's like, there's a lot of intricacies and mm-hmm. layerings to like, I am doing this for you. So I will play this part, even though it's not. So anyways, I I definitely recommend checking it out because it got me to start to recognize what role I was just falling into and not even realizing that I was playing or that I could ask to play or that you could switch roles and you can talk about it. And um, yeah, there's more that I could share, but I think that that's like a good, a good seed to drop. I love that so much. And I love that that brings up the point of open communication and having this communication before you even engage in any kind of physical act. And I instruct a lot of couples. And that's one thing that I talk to couples about. And one of the benefits that I found from using natural family planning in my marriage and from couples using it, the benefit that I hear is the communication that we talk about. Okay, at the start of this cycle, we are intending to avoid pregnancy. So for this couple, that means we're going to be avoiding intercourse on the days that I know that I'm ovulating during my fertile time, which is something that is missing from the sex ed conversation. Um, But then too, it's like every day, then we're checking in and saying, okay, these are what, this is what my body's doing. This is the sign that's showing, am I in that fertile window or not? So this is what that means for our intimacy. And it's just, I, I tell couples all the time and it, it's hard to describe like how, how respectful that feels and how valuable that feels that you can both choose that together. And you're really honoring the woman's body and how, how it's ovulating and, and that part of it, but also respecting that 
you know, men, their cycles 24 hours, so they can be ready anytime. But to make an intentional choice that you are going to be abstinent on this day, you know, I don't know how honoring and respectful. I was just going to say, there's like a call for creativity there, though. You're like, all right, well, we can't have sex. Like, what do you want to do? Let's try something different. Or like, you know, it doesn't have to be, which like you're saying, like the communication, it opens up the door to not, and I think Joy, you had mentioned this, it's not just like stick the penis in the vagina. This is what we do. It's like, all right, well, we're not going to do that right now. So like, what are other tools or things or experiences can we have? And I feel like that makes your sex life even better because it's like, let's be real for a while if you're just doing the same thing it gets boring like <laughs> yes for and sure so much because that's what I tell my clients when I'm when I tell them like you're in your fertile window and so you know based on the fertility awareness studies that we know about they're basically almost all off of abstaining from sex in the fertile window sex in this term being penis and vagina sex And so that's when I like to say to clients, you know, you can go ahead and if you're really, you know, fiending for it, you can have, you know, use a barrier or whatnot, but I challenge you to instead focus on some other forms of intimacy in your life. And so that can be, that can be so many things for different people, but it also can just be exploring new sexual acts in the bedroom. And that is so valuable to couples because again, it pushes them outside their comfort zone it forces them to fix, um, not fix, but, you know, try something new and just like introduce kind of this new exciting time where they, you know, every cycle they have to assign a a new kind of sexual act or something that they want to add, which is just so fulfilling. And almost always the couples come back and are just so amazed. And, you know, they're like, kind of embarrassed to tell me but they are so excited to tell me like oh yeah we like practiced what you said (laughs) and I'm I'm like that's amazing like I'm really happy to hear that because it it just does prove that it doesn't need to be again the centered around the penis and centered around just penis going in vagina to be fulfilling sex so well and to bring that into like an inclusive inclusive conversation um again, these are not my thoughts. This is like just a lot of information that I took in, in the last year. Um, but the realization that when we equate sex to the very narrow act of a penis entering a vagina, that really, um, excludes a lot of people and a lot of experiences. Um, yeah. And so, uh, it was very interesting and enlightening and inspiring for me to hear some of these conversations of like, if you have an orgasm that you had sex, like, you know, like what, you know, like I, and, you know, take that or leave that, go wherever you want with it. But to, to assume that you, that that is the only form or is just like very, it's very exclusive. It's not, um, allowing all the different, um, expressions of intimacy, physical intimacy to exist, which sucks um, for a lot of people, even if it is a penis and a vagina, because even when you have a penis and a vagina, sometimes that isn't very fun or, or what you think it will be. And so um, it's very limiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree with that. And I think that's so, I think that's something that we as fertility awareness educators can definitely get better at it being inclusive towards because I think 
since we're talking about, for the most part, especially in this conversation, using fertility awareness as birth control, then we're inherently suggesting that there is a risk of pregnancy. And so when we're saying that, then we're automatically talking about the two parts that need to be at risk of pregnancy. But at the same time, you can still use fertility awareness and, you know, use it for so many other different ways and important things. And there's so many different forms of, like you said, different forms of sex and intimacy. And again, that doesn't need to just be between a hetero man and woman. So that's a, a really good challenge for us to continue to grow and be more inclusive, definitely. Yeah. And being able to talk about like the peaks of your cycles, like let's say you have two like cis females that are with each other and like, I don't know, are you ovulating at the same time? Are you ovulating at different times? Like, is someone going to be more aroused at one time versus the other? Like those are all really interesting things to know about your partner. And I, I, this is like just some graph I saw, cause I don't know how true this is. So you guys can correct me if it's wrong, but it was even just talking about like the moods of your cycle where I think like, I don't know, your first week, you're probably less social. Like it was, it was even like in a social aspect where it's like, you might feel less like hanging out with other people. And then in, you know, weeks two and three of your cycle, when you are ovulating or you're more fertile, like a lot of times that actually people are just in general, like even in their friendship interactions are like more interested in going out and doing things and being around people. And then, I don't know, I think like the fourth week was like less social too, but I don't know. It was like a very interesting graph. And I don't know if either of you can speak to that a little bit more. Cause again, you could even apply it to friendships or like, you'd be like, Oh, like someone's kind of avoiding me. And I don't like, I don't know if this is a weird thing to say because there's like very much a negative connotation around like, Oh, are you in your period? Like we're all, I don't think a lot of us had had that experience, but to like understand your own cycle, like for example, for me, right before I normally get my period, I like, I'll have these moments where I feel like the world is ending and I'm just like very emotional, very, and I'm like, why? And like, but I can't figure out why I'm feeling that way. And then if I, now that I actually have a regular cycle, because long story, I didn't have a period for a long time, but um, now that I do have a regular cycle, it's a lot more, even for myself, like my relationship with myself to be able to identify like, oh, like you're probably about to get your period. Like everything is like, be fine that you're having these emotions right now and you can feel them, but the world actually isn't really ending. And this is probably just part of your cycle and your hormones changing. And it's like, oh, okay. And then you just sort of like feel better. (laughs) I'm like, all right, I can still cry right now, but it doesn't, I have like something to pinpoint and be like, oh yes. Yeah. Okay. It's all good. It's all good, buddy. We're here. We can take care of you. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you're interested in learning more, especially about like the moods of your cycle, the book in the flow by Alyssa Vitti is amazing. And she talks a ton about that, but you're right. It's like when you're near your ovulation time, like, yeah, you're more outgoing. You want to make connections. And yeah, then when you're on your period, like you just want to chill out, like, and that's totally normal. And that's one thing that I love to help women understand is that it's perfectly normal to feel differently during different parts of your cycle. And so that's another way that natural family planning fertility awareness can be so helpful to just know yourself and know your body outside of a relationship. I was gonna say, I love the call out of that fertility doesn't just have to equate to baby planning. Like, because I know so many of my friends are not going to have kids. I'm probably not going to have kids. And 
and it can be really easy. And I think probably I've been the one mostly in this conversation where I'm like, how does this relate to people who like aren't trying to start a family? And um, that like that clicked for me. It was like, oh yeah, because this is my body. My body is cyclical and, and all bodies are cyclical. And so it, it's an invitation to understand those cycles. And then to your point, Janelle, it's like using them to, or all of us like to communicate and to like, where are you at? And like, what's here? Um, we talked with Joaquin um, two seasons ago, I think about identity. And we had this beautiful conversation about like, if there, if it was a labelless society um, and it was just humans and, you know, we weren't, um, we weren't like guided towards heteronormativity that we might just go around and you'd meet a human and then be like, what are you into? Like, what do you have? Who are, you know, you would get to know them at a very foundational level versus when you meet people now that it's already pre-constructed. And so you kind of like assume all these biases and defaults. And it's, it sounds a lot like that to me of just like really getting to the roots of like, I actually don't know you. I know we are humans with cycles and, and who are you and what's here and how can we incorporate that into our connection and our relationship and, and our intimacy. Just, if I could just come in for a second, that like blew my mind at the beginning, because I love, 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 love when people, menstruators, we're calling them women, some might not identify as women, but menstruators, if they, you know, come to a point where they realize that their fertility isn't just about baby making or the ability to have babies or whatever like that's an amazing process yeah we can we can do it we know our bodies can do it but our fertility and especially us as fertility awareness educators natural family planning we help people to see that the menstrual cycle is so much more than just this thing that creates babies um, it's a sign of your overall health in so many different ways I'm not even going to begin to you know go into it but you know, the chart can just tell you so much about someone's health and to just say that women's health and fertility only matters when they want to get pregnant is such a disservice to women because then they spend, you know, decades usually on birth control that suppresses this huge function in their body. And we're just taught that that's kind of normal and fine because we don't understand that fertility is more than just having babies. And so when people figure that out and they want to chart it, then that's, I just love being a part of that kind of revelation because it is just so important. And just as another side note, I wanted to get blood work done and um, it's like a running thing in the fertility awareness community that if you want blood work done and you want it to be more in depth than normal, you say that you want to get pregnant in the next little bit and they'll actually run more tests. And guess what? I said that and my doctor ran every single one of the tests I asked for. So, okay. The fact that you say that, cause I had that experience where I wanted to get blood drawn because I wanted to check different hormone levels and blah, blah, blah. And my doctor fought me. She was like, why you don't need to get that done. And I was like, because I want to know more about my body. And she's like, no, like you don't really need to get it. I'm like, I have insurance. I want to do it. This isn't like, I almost got into a brawl and I did not go to that doctor with this lady because I was like, who the fuck are you to tell me what I can get, like, get to know about my body? I was like, I'm telling you, I want a blood test and I want all of these things. And she's like, well, you don't need it. And I was like, but I want it. <laughs> yeah, they, are, they, they really think that it's only important to consider our overall health 
when we are looking to procreate, which is just mind blowing. Like that's not okay. Like we're our okay. own beings right now. And if our being is not healthy, we deserve every single test to figure that out whether or not we want to get pregnant in the next bit. But I didn't feel like dealing with that whole issue. So, you know, I just said, yeah, I'm trying to get pregnant. And guess what? I got every single test done. So yeah, I I have to piggyback on this too, because this is part of my soapbox as a healthcare professional and especially as a pharmacist. And I probably said this when I was on the podcast before, but birth control is the only medication we prescribe to perfectly healthy people to shut down their body's natural healthy functioning. There is literally no other medication that we pers- that gets prescribed that is shutting down the way your body's supposed to work. Everything else is because something's not working correctly, there's a deficiency and you're trying to get back to the natural functioning. Mm-hmm. And once I once I put those pieces together, I, I was just, I, I don't know how, how can we feel that that's okay? And, and I do want to say, and, and I do want to say, like I said, at the beginning that it's not wrong to make the choice to take birth control. It's not. But if you're making that choice, because if you're not making a choice, if you're told that this is the only option for you, if this is the only thing that you know, that you have to suppress your body, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we run into this problem all the time <laughs> I think Emily and I can both agree that it's um like people assume that since we are fertility awareness educators um in some way that we are anti-birth control and like we definitely advocate for the fact that there is a lot more to using hormonal contraceptives than is presented to users and so um, both of us might sound like haters and I just want to sa- say that we're, we're not hating on hormonal birth control. It's just the fact that it's presented as the only option and, um, really there's nothing else for people and that's where our problem lies. Um, so I just wanted to make that distinction. We're not birth control haters. We just want people to understand what they're using and that they do have other options. I, um, I, if there's anything else here we can share it, but otherwise I was going to start to just share maybe some of the topics that we're considering doing in other episodes and um, you all just sparked one. So I'll put it on air. The idea of um, your period being assigned like a vital sign of health, because that was something even the other day, I was like, I got my period, but it was super light. And I was like, that's weird. And then I started to actually do some research, but normally I either wouldn't have, or I just like wouldn't even thought about it and just like check using it as a sign, like, Oh, what does this mean? Like, there's not necessarily anything wrong, but it can be a sign. Maybe I'm overstressed. Maybe I'm not eating enough of some certain food. Maybe I've lost too much weight, like whatever it may be, but it got me to just check in and be like, Oh, is everything good body? Like, or is this just a one-off thing or, you know, what's happening? Um, so that would be maybe potentially another, another topic or conversation we could go into, but we had chatted about, um, you know, masturbation, like cervical fluid. What does that mean? A lot of people like, cause Rachel and I were even talking about this before we hit record. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned it, but I don't think a lot of people know the questions that like to ask even about sex. So some of the topics, cervical fluid, what does that look like? I mean, the exploration of unique genitals. We've talked about how we all look different. And a lot of times we don't even know that, like there's so many variations and different types and 
um, we're not necessarily exposed to that. We talked about the heart to boner connection or even um, like how to have an STD conversation. I feel like a lot of my friends and I are having a conversation of like, where's the right time to be like, hey, let's talk about STDs and make sure we're good, you know? And like, I, yeah, so we can get, I like, I can open a whole can of worms on that. So um, those are some of the topics that we're thinking about chatting on. And for anyone listening to, if that sparks something or you have more curiosity, like we really want it to be um, just kind of this, basically what we normally do in the podcast, just an open dialogue around topics that maybe people aren't normally willing to have, or um, that you might feel like haven't been normalized, or you just you know, don't have people to talk about it. Um, and also having it come from the space, because I think a lot of podcasts that have um, the focus of like sexual topics are um, like a lot of times they have, like you all are experts, of course, in like your field, but they're like a sex educator coach. And that's amazing too. And like, we also want to be like, what's, what about for like the people that are like, I, like I said, Rachel and I are just like, we don't know. Like, we just want to be able to kind of be the guinea pigs that are like, oh, I don't know what this is, or like, I've had this experience, is this normal? And also be able to bring, um, if people have thoughts or ideas or experiences that they want to anonymously share, or they're willing to put their name behind it, cool. Um, but that we can bring them to the table just to continue these conversations. I'll just add that I would love to bring in voices, other voices uh, and perspectives. Um, you know, we're for white, cis, heteronormative. <laughs> and I'm very painfully aware of that right now. And um, and so that is kind of my passion is like, I would like to bring in other voices that just um, provide more of a diverse perspective to the mix. Um, and then I would love before we wrap to just, if, if there's a resource that each of us maybe has that feels like if somebody was like, I want to dig deeper, I know we've shared some throughout this episode, but like, what's the one that kind of calls to you right now that you would say, start here. Um, I just like love to hear from each person. I love, 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 love um, anything by the holistic reproductive health practitioner. So she's through Justice College, which is where I'm graduating from. And her name is Lisa Hendrickson Jack, and she has a fantastic podcast called Fertility Friday, everything and more about fertility awareness, periods, um, you know, sex, fertility, all of it is in there. And, um, you know, she's been doing it for years, and it's a fantastic, fantastic resource. Um, so I would just recommend that she also has a book. So you can go either way if you like a podcast or a book, but just a plethora of knowledge and um, just so amazing. Agreed. Agreed. I love her podcast too. Is there um, anything you'd I, add, Emily? I would plug again that in the flow book, it really changed a lot of things and really does frame that conversation of just how can your cycle give you more information about your body. And I would really plug the audio version. Um, she, the author reads it and it's really great. So that's in the flow by Alyssa Vidi. I would like to replug. Just kidding, I was going to say the American Girl doll book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that taught me about my Made a lasting impact on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, there's a Mark Groves episode, and I wish I remember who we had on, um, but we'll link it. And it was all around um, just the idea of like 
periods and birth control. And like, that was one of the things that I think like initially maybe even sparked getting Emily on the podcast or it correlated close, close to when we connected and it was like very impactful um, in addition to our conversation. Yeah. And then I'll just, the OMGS, um, whether you have a vulva, have a partner with a vulva, um, it is really just a cool, cool space. Um, Very, like very informative, very educational video. Like you see things and um, yeah. So um, very tasteful, all ages. So like it, it exposed me to like, even the conversation, which I think might be an interesting one of like, just because you get older, doesn't mean you're all of a sudden not sexually active or interested in sex. Like there's a really cool post that I saw that's really celebrating, um, older generations and embracing sexuality, sexuality of, um, older generations. So yeah, so I would say that, and I'm again, like, man, I wish that, or I wish that there was resources that I could be bringing for, um, those with penises because I, I don't have those resources. So again, like hoping to bring in some more voices so that we can uh, round out the conversation as this proceeds, but this is amazing. Thank you all. Thank, Thank you both. Guys. You're amazing. Thanks. This has been fun. Thanks for playing. This has been another episode of the True North Collective podcast. For more from Rachel and I, check us out on the gram at the True North Collective underscore. And make sure you're signed up for our mailing list. You can do that at thetruenorthcollective.org to stay up to date on all of our resources, tools, and upcoming events. We appreciate you being here with us. We'll see you next time.